Hello and welcome back to the Event Lab podcast, your window into the events conversation. On this episode, I sat down with Clemmy Hardy, founder of the event tech company Noodle Live, who joined us in the office to chat about collecting data at events and how companies can be smarter about it going forward. It was crazy. Like I was getting uh, emails. I was like, "How am I even on this mailing list?" Like, there was uh, surely there's a like blog post that needs to be written of like my favourite GDPR email of like how did I get on this mailing list? But first, is the extra runway at Heathrow essential to keeping Britain as a competitive location for events? Netflix has introduced a new anti-harassment training program a possible blueprint for the events industry to follow, and will we be seeing Kim Jong-un at IMAX sometime? All that and more as we hand over to the events team for our News Digest, who this week are joined by Richard Groves, Group Business Development Director at Smart Group. Afternoon, everyone. Afternoon, Charlotte. Hello. Hi, Sam. Hi, Ed. We're delighted also to have Richard Groves with us today. Good afternoon. For those who don't know, Richard, Group Business Development Director for Smart Group, Richard, I feel like I, I miss you. I haven't seen you for, what is it, three days? Three days. Yeah, we had a good 72 hours together, didn't we? That oh, was great. I was lucky enough to be on the Smart Friends Agency weekend away trip to Italy, which was amazing fun. How was it for you, Richard? Uh, very tiring, but hugely successful um, from the responses we've got. And it was just the best group of people. We had 40 people and we took them out on boats and we had a fantastic time for three days and everybody gelled and there was just no issues at all. It was just a perfect, perfect weekend. It was all over social media. What, why did you decide, why did, what made you decide you were going to, it was the first year, wasn't it? What made you decide to do it? Because the dynamic of Smart Group has changed um, in the last two or three years. We've got more product. We bought Moving Venue, which is a catering company that has more venues to work in. Historically, Smart has just had Battersea Evolution and some hospitality events. So when I joined in 2014, I said, we have to have more to sell. We have to have more product. We need more agents. Agents bring us loads of work. We need to support them and thank them very much for bringing us work. You certainly did that. And how do you, how do you assess the impact of it? Um, it's relationship building so you just spend more time than you would do naturally even just over lunch or an event with someone so you really begin to dig down about what they want and what they feel about you and what you feel about how you work with them um we've already had two or three major inquiries on the back of it saying oh yeah we didn't know you did that so therefore we're going yeah and it's just it's just working um to get deeper into people's businesses well i absolutely absolutely love Great. Love smart. You're a group. great guest as well. Ah, oh, thank you very much. Too kind. Ishia, which is an island Lovely. just off Capri. Yeah, fantastic. Beautiful. So, calling all agencies are listening. If you want an amazing holiday next year, to where is it next year? Um, are you allowed to divulge? Incentive. Mallorca. Holiday. Incentive holiday to Mallorca. Um, incentive, not holiday. It's an incentive trip. A thank you. A thank but it is. You. It's very, very low key, and it's just very great fun. And we just make sure everybody eats and drinks really well. It was very great fun. And I'm going to be your plus one again. Perfect. Thank you. Well, after the royal wedding, you mean? After the royal wedding, yeah. Richard, are we allowed to post the picture of you in the captain's hat on the Event Lab website? Uh, yes, you can. Yes. There are particular ones that I don't want you to post, but there's, a very, <laughs> there's, a, there's one I actually do look a bit captain Yeah. Fantastic. Good. Thank you, Richard. On to the news. So, this is something everyone wanted to talk about. It's the third runway. Heathrow government have given their backing to it. Um, what do we think as an industry? There seems, seems to me that all the big kind of industry bodies are all kind of backing it. And yet we talk a lot about sustainability. We've talked about it a lot in, in this podcast. Where do we stand on the, on the third runway at Heathrow? I think um, if we are to stay ahead of the game and keep up with some of the other major hubs globally, then 
it's probably a bit of a foregone conclusion that this had to happen. Um, although I personally completely sympathise with all the people who live within the flight path and who are going to be affected by it because and why they are up in arms by it in terms of the noise, the pollution, the um, the traffic that um, is going to be going overhead um, and the impact it will have on them. But I think, you know, for the amount of incoming, um, extra incoming traffic that we are trying to um uh, we're trying to attract there is no real alternative if you're talking about sustainability you can't add the two together you know we planes aren't the most amazing thing to have in the air um but you need them it's, it's always going to grow people are going to need to import more when we've got bigger relationships across the world um after we come out of the eu we're going to be bringing more kit into this country more people want to fly more people want to get, investigate new markets it's not going to get any quieter and if we haven't got the capacity we are going to be a second world country i think that when we talk about sustainability it's not just about being green we're talking about economic drivers of the country and what we can do other than worry about uh, an extra runway without this uh, growth opportunity in our economy we can't invest in other sustainable practices that we need to be doing, which are not just around airports we talk about at the moment, you know, plastic, so on and so forth. So without this and without this speedily, I think that, you know, as an industry, we're encouraging and certainly from a business visits and events partnership point of view, we now need to be lobbying on how quickly we can do this with the situation happening with that crazy March 2019 thing that I'm sure we're going to talk about today. We really, really need to now start putting pressure on government on when this is going to be actioned because we as an industry, with the way that we plan and we map our events and activities, need to have this happening and happening soon. We need to get through Parliament first, if I'm right? Correct. Yeah, so there's lots of hiccups on the way potentially, but it's got to happen. You know, it's been talked about since the late 70s. Everybody else is building one way. And, but we are, we're just stood still and people keep putting in the long grass because it's political hot potato. No one wants to make the decision, but it's got to be made at some point. And the decision's now been sanctioned. So let's start moving with the action. And, you know, as an industry, we should be getting behind this. It sounds like we are. Nick DeBar was on the podcast last week. He's he's obviously been a long-time advocate for it. Um, I guess we need the events industry board and everyone talking up and, and, and putting pressure on because it, it sounds like a, a unanimous thumbs up from from you guys too. Interesting that Nick was a supporter of the Richmond candidate for Mayor of London. And Richmond, uh, obviously, as a, a borough that's very, very close to Heathrow, are completely anti this. It's a real challenge. I also live not, not far and I'm on a flight path. But sometimes you, you, know, you move there knowing that you're going to be on a flight path. You know if you're going to live somewhere around Heathrow or another hub like that. It's like living in the Barbican, knowing that you're going to have wonderful things happening. You can't expect it to be quiet. So it's how that's managed and it's how those people are communicated to and how you know their future looks and, and to make sure that they're looked after as well. But we have to do it and we have to do it soon. I'm just going to be amused to see how Boris sidesteps his promise to lie in front of the um, the diggers when it comes. He's miffed he hasn't got his Boris Island airport, he, he so... Yeah, they're like that. I grew up under a fight path, so I know what it's like. And I now work in the events industry. I think, I think I'm with you guys. Mm. I think we need it. Sam, you wanted to talk about the Trump-Kim summit and the event that went with it. How much did it cost again? Well, I think that 
In terms of when we look at stuff that's happening in the news and the News Digest that we talk about every two weeks, this probably has to be the the biggest spend unless Charlotte, you've been your team have been managing something bigger. Fifteen million, fifteen million pound event on Sentosa Island, paid for by the Singaporean government. To have two of the world's possibly most terrifying individuals in a room together making a diplomatic gesture, which is slightly alarming. Um, if one was to pick two people globally, would it be those two? I open the floor to the, for the question. Well, the big question is, Charlotte, would you take that brief on from a pure I'm events sure point of I'd view? Be, I, I, I'd definitely be re-looking at Trump's stylist, I think. I'd probably be getting in a whole fleet of um, self-tanning gurus um, and I uh, would be giving this some sort of major sort of consideration. Um, whether or not the two of them actually knew what they were actually communicating with each other, there was lots of nodding and there was lots of shaking and there was lots of writing and scribbling, but did they actually really know what they were both agreeing to? Uh, unlikely, seemingly, because <laughs> of the, the, the information that came out of it um, had to be dragged out of them a bit. It was only because someone took a photograph of the, um, the, the document that they both signed, and I, it just seemed like a massive amount of PR going on. But back to Singapore, was it good for them to do? Well, who released that the, it was cost £15 million? Is that, did they release that a presti- prestige thing? Or it was it... actually the Prime Minister of Singapore yeah. in a conference uh, a few days ago that uh, had said that it's costing the country that much. And actually, from his point of view, he was saying that that was a big, big investment in terms of the future of that particular part of the world. But I guess from an event point of view... Is that a positive thing for Singapore, that they can actually manage that type of high-level event? You know, Singapore is spending a lot of money on marketing in our industry at the moment. I mean, as somebody who's looked at very sizable um, event briefs in terms of volumes of people, Singapore is pretty much, apart from Las Vegas, the only place that can actually host significant numbers. Um, not, not suggesting that that particular Congress in terms of numbers was that huge, but in terms of the venues, they are very well equipped because of their position um, to to do very highbrow events. And obviously, you know, the positioning of it was quite interesting because China was always, has always been a mass, massive supporter of North Korea um, and the US were, have always supported um, South Korea. So in terms of those two, all of that um, synergy, it was quite an, quite an interesting choice of location. So good for, good for Singapore. Two pretty... I wouldn't call them the two most popular individuals in the world, but Singapore have put on a, a great show for them. Made me think Trump's coming over here, not 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 too distant future. Is the events industry rolling out the red carpet for for Trump? I don't know how squeamish you can be um, about who who's coming to your venue, who's coming to your city. You know, the, there is talk that everything's going to happen slightly outside London. So if you meet the Queen, it'll be in Windsor or Balmoral, because it's near his golf courses. It's, it's not going to be in Downing Street, it's not going to be in Buckingham Palace, because it'd just be a nightmare moving him around. There was talk of him coming over to open the embassy in Nine Elms, which is very close to where one of our big venues is, at Battersea Park. Would we have taken that booking if they wanted to use that as a media centre or to get people in for afternoon tea to celebrate? Yes, we probably would have. How squeamish can you be? Sam, you work with, with, with a lot of venues. Have you heard the same, same, same thing? I think it's really interesting, as Richard said, that when it comes down to it's a booking and it's a client and you want to make sure that you do the best by your clients, ethics have to come into these things. But at the moment with Trump, you know, is he being completely unethical to to 
the things that affect us. I worked uh, for the Barbican, as you all will probably know, many, many moons ago, and we were very, very specific about the type of events that we would hold. Um, I think it's interesting, word on the street is, yeah, that London doesn't have an appetite. I also think that we do need to stand as a nation against some of the things that are going on and some of the things that uh, perhaps he's standing for are a bit crazy and a, a bit against our beliefs as a as a country still in the European Union as well. So it's an H interesting one. Having said one. that, he is, you know, he's a very, very successful businessman. And one thing that no one can take away from him is that he does get stuff done. He is, you know, showing everybody that he has, there is a call to action. And that's what the American people haven't had for, or have perceived to not have for quite a prolonged period of time. And that's what this whole um, summit really has also been about, is about bringing... Um, a level of um, peace and unity back to that part of the world. So, you know, it's it's an it's an interesting time. But this is a man without, you know, without a doubt, who's causing more controversy than any living his person in history that I've known about. And from a, a venue point of view, an event point of view, this man has banned Iron Brew from his venue in Scotland. Wow! I'm not sure how welcome he's going to be up there. <laughs> no Scotland for. Trump anymore? What about no. Kim? If Kim picked up the phone to you. Would you? I'd be terrified. Would you? Would you take that call? I'd be more inclined to take Trump over Kim. I think. Um, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that, that's that's where this whole dichotomy between having the having the success of this meeting, but parking slightly who who they both were. Trump is still leader of the free world, but Kim is is not. It's, it's a very very closed, vicious, violent maniacal um, place to, be, to live um, and you know should the red carpet have been rolled out for him so early without any movement to, to being a bit more democratic and a bit more open maybe a bit early big question will we see North Korea at IMEX or IBTM in the not too distant future I think Trump's got his idea on for a couple of resorts there so I think they're going to be building <laughs> golf courses yeah, pretty, pretty quickly Keep the relationship going, they'll both, both be there. This, moving on, Sam, this is another one from you. I love today's news digest. There's lo loads of things from, from outside the industry, but which are potentially things which will affect the industry. So this was one, Sam, you picked up on. This is Netflix, who have introduced new anti-harassment training, which is quite stringent. They've, they've, they've new, new rules include no looking at anyone for longer than five seconds, no lingering hugs, no flirting, no asking for a colleague's phone number. There's... Real talk in the industry at the moment about workplace culture, wellness in the workplace, making sure people are as comfortable and happy at work as they possibly can be. How should we react to something like this? Or should we? The events industry is a very tactile industry. It's a bit like theatre and drama of all kinds. We are a very theatrical business. And you know we're not quite as lovey as the theatre world is and give everybody a hug and call everybody darling because you can't remember their name. But it, it, we are quite tactile and we do do um, interaction with guests. That is what we do. We, and the process of that as the event managers is building the trust, building the relationship with the client to say, you can trust me that the venue will be ready, the catering will be fantastic. We will deliver on the promise that we've given you. And if you go look someone in the eye and say, we are guaranteeing this, I think you're losing part of the connection. What do you think, Charlie, you run a business with lots of people? I think it's extraordinary, to be honest. Um, I can't imagine not walking into my office and giving a member of my team a hug. Um, it's what we do on a daily basis. 
Um, but then we are quite huggy um, in 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 our agency. But um, I think that you know you have to sort of ask, wonder whether the world's going slightly mad, um, and sort of think, well, okay, there's certain boundaries with regards to sexual harassment that you wouldn't cross. Um, but when it comes to um, being warm and friendly, there's a difference. Um, and are people actually really going to be looking at the red tape with this and slapping people on the wrist for this and um, alienating people for being too um, over-familiar, I suppose. That's what it boils down to. I think if over-familiarity in our industry is a crime, then you're going to have to lock me up. I'm a, a Global Huggability Award winner, 2011, from Ovation DMC, um, where people actually voted me as someone who had the best hugs in the industry. Well, I'd be in prison right now if, if we're taking this to this degree that Netflix have. We're an industry where, you know, everything that we do is around relationships. And I agree with Richard that if someone stops looking me in the eye, as we're doing in the studio here, I wish we were videoing this at the moment, I'd be offended and I would question whether you want to do business with me, whether we're actually having an open and honest and, and transparent relationship if you don't look me in the eye. It's very obvious when people don't look you in the eye. You question their integrity, actually. Um, it's very noticeable when people are looking at the floor or, you know, a, a, a behaviourist would have a field day with this, wouldn't they, mm. in terms of mannerisms? I guess there's a difference between your, your industry relationships and what's happening in the workplace. And maybe in the workplace, you do need to be slightly more prescriptive. Maybe this is this is one step too far. I know that Highspace, we have an equality charter which touches on some of these things, and I'm, I'm really glad we do. I think it makes a difference. Maybe it's it's, it's more about the, the, the organisations existing in the business and, and obviously you know, there's a line between, between too prescriptive and, and, and kind of common sense. But maybe that's what this is getting at and maybe... Maybe it's something for businesses in the in the events industry to think about, or at least to, you know, be alerted by, and and, and perhaps that will that will have a positive impact on 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 people working in the industry. I think it's really important that we create environments where people can talk and feel comfortable to say, feel comfortable to say, I don't feel comfortable with this scenario, with this situation, or with how you've had this conversation, or how you're looking at me. I think. I think that's probably what Netflix have probably tried to do because I think they've not confirmed or denied this news. I think that businesses, I'm only a very, very small business, so I'd be interested in Richard's and, and yours, Ed, and Charlotte's opinion that we need to create these environments where if you're not comfortable with me giving you this big hug, that you, you're you in an environment in a safe enough place to say, Sam, I don't want to, I don't like having a hug, I'm not a huggy person. But is it not emotionally intelligent to be able to understand who the person is standing in front of you and whether or not they would would like a certain approach it's the same it's the same scenario with managing clients to a certain extent I mean you're not going to hug every single client but there no. are <clears throat> some clients that you have a relationship with that if you were quite standoffish and quite cold would be offended by that so, um, you know, it's having a level of emotional intelligence, really, to be able to understand the person that's in front of you. And that doesn't apply to every single person. You can't treat every single person in the same way and not look at every single person in the eye for, you know, more than five seconds or whatever. Um, everybody's different. Yeah. And I think it, 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 what it's trying to do is, is protect probably younger employees from, from older employers. 
who might, you know, they might be getting away from any predatory risk. Um, you know, I, I'm of a certain age, we employ lots of very young people, men and women, and I think there's a protocol that I adhere to that I wouldn't naturally go into the office and, and hug our head of sales who's in her late 20s, which I don't, I don't shake her by the hand either, but I just you know, think hello and good morning and that, that's it. But they will, there is quite a lot of hugging going on in moving venue and smart because they're all the rough, roughly same age and, and they, they know each other incredibly well. And it's a bit like seeing clients. We quickly embraced when we met outside the studio because we know each other and we've got, we've got history. I don't know Charlotte particularly well and we shook hands. You know, I've got to earn the huggability bit because it's not a natural thing for me to go up and do someone, even though I'm a very tactile person. Don't I worry, would... Richard, I'm going to give you a large hug as I leave the studio. <laughs> I feel much better. <laughs> so it seems like it's kind of common sense. But as I say, there's so much talk going on at the moment. There's, you know, there's lots of new businesses in the events industry. There's a lot of talk about workplace, you know, organisational structure and workplace culture. And perhaps this will be this will be rolled into that, which uh, which can only be a good thing. Um, we have been we've been talking for a while. Who's a football fan? Any football with World Cup starting? Not so much. I'm Sorry, absolutely here. no interest. What yeah. in football? I follow whatever, the egg-shaped I, ball. I follow the egg-shaped ball too. Yeah, me too. I only asked because I saw this thing. I had no idea about this. That the World Cup had been stolen. This was in something I think of conference news. Stolen from Central Hall, Westminster, in 1966. Mm-hmm. Did you know that? And dumped in a in a bush somewhere. Did you know that? So how do they get it and do it? Because it's one of the most protected things. Apparently, they just, well, apparently not. That, apparently, they just they just walked out of it. But they had no real malign intentions. They didn't want to make money or do anything. They just dumped it in a bush. I think this must be something to do with that particular area. I was working with a client that I probably shouldn't name in Westminster. And if they're listening, which I hope they are, because I did talk about this podcast a lot working with them today, they've discovered in their offices a bottle of champagne signed by the 1966 World Cup winning squad. Mm, just out of the blue. So maybe it's something around the Westminster area that's... Uh... Maybe it's the Westminster well, I rather like the fact that it was the dog, actually being a canine lover, that found the car. It was the dog. It was the dog. That appealed to me. Dog found the car. And Central Hall Westminster insists that their security is now absolutely tight. <laughs> so much better than it was in, in 1966. 1966. Yeah. Who's everyone backing for the World Cup? Come on, predictions. We're going to bring this up again in a month's time, whenever it finishes. Oh, is Brazil in it? Brazil's in it. They're, or Germany? They're quite good, aren't they, I gather? Historically. Right, Germany. Richard... I mean, clearly England are going to be out in the first round, aren't they? Yeah, they'll, they'll, they'll be back home on Tuesday. <laughs> I'm going to go Belgium. Belgium. Good shout. Based on any particular... Um, from a Intel? meetings and events perspective, it's a great destination to start going Good. to and people need to get back into Belgium. Um, and also because they've got some really, really good players. Good that's reason. About as, that's Argentina? about as much as I should know. No. All right, Charlie, you're Argentina. Yeah. I'm going to have to go to Sweden. Third <laughs> of them. Third of them. <laughs> I'm a Sweden because that's why I've been drawn in the in the highest space. Um, Good luck with that. Yeah. Thanks, <laughs> guys. It's been brilliant as always. Thank you. Uh, thank you, Charlotte. Thanks. Thank guys. you, Sam and Richard. Thank, thank you. you very much for stepping in short notice. It's been great to have you on, and hope to have you again soon. Have a great couple of weeks, guys. See you in Thanks a couple of weeks. Lot. Bye. Thanks, guys. Uh, now, up next, Clemmy Hardy, the founder of Noodle Live, sat down with us to share her expertise on gathering data at events. Welcome, Clemmy. Thank you so much for being on the Event Lab podcast with us this morning. Cool. Well, thank you for inviting me to take part. I'm really excited and looking forward to discussing um, a few things around data and event tech this morning. Uh, so, yeah, thank you for having me. Awesome. Well, I mean, do you really want to kind of 
introduce the listeners to uh, kind of what Noodle Live does. So at Noodle Live, we're an event technology company, and our core mission statement is to give event planners uh, the tools they need to quantify events in the same way as other marketing channels by collecting useful data. And we do this via three, three key products. Uh, so we have our print-on-demand badging, we have our event apps, and then our RFID smart badges as well. And generally our approach is to try and understand the aims and objectives of running that particular event, and then suggest a technology mix uh, that will help achieve those aims and objectives by collecting the right set of data. Um, and so it's very much kind of a consultative approach, and that's what we find generally delivers the most value. That data collection is the, I guess, the first thing we really want to talk about, because I mean, I guess I was probably a bit bored of hearing about all about data security and GDPR has been endless, it feels like, for the last... I guess this whole this whole year, but it's, <laughs> the GDPR deadline has passed, and we are we are over the hump. But well, we we started calling it G Day in the <laughs> office. Um, so yeah, we we are of course past uh, past the legislate the date where the legislation came into a, into place. And I think you know there's been some measure of relief. There's not quite so many emails in my inbox around GDPR. It was interesting to see the way that different companies were approaching uh, trying to become GDPR ready. Um, but I think ultimately, you know, the legislation is a positive thing. It's starting up some really good conversations around how we're collecting data, how we're using data, and, and what's necessary and what isn't necessary. Because suddenly we're in a position where we have to establish a lawful basis for processing that data. And I think that that's a good moment of introspection for a lot of companies to consider, you know, how they are using their data and what value that's delivering. Um, I think that, you know, we still will see what the outcome of uh, that, that legislation is and that will most likely be defined by case law over the next couple of years. Um, and, you know, but I think overall we, we kind of, we, we welcome a step forward in this area because I think that there were, um, you know, companies maybe not using data in the most value-driven way and I think that it needs to be that balance, you know, if someone's going to give us a, their, their data then we have to, to use that data properly, we have to protect that data properly and we, and we have to deliver something of value to, to the, that person as well to justify uh, processing their personal data. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, I guess a lot of people became quite aware of just how far their email had spread out and all the different companies that had ended up with it, just from from suddenly well, you've forgotten all the companies and now suddenly they're emailing you saying, we'd like to keep your keep your email. It was crazy. Like, I was getting uh, emails. I was like, how am I even on this mailing list? Like, there was, uh, surely there's a, like, blog post that needs to be written of, like, my favourite GDPR email of, like, how did I get on this mailing list? There were some really bizarre ones. that There was no way that I'd in any way opted in to be on that mailing list. Yeah, I mean, exactly. It was, kind of a, it, was kind of a, it was a bit of a shock wake-up call because you're so used to just kind of oh, hand out an email there, just you don't really think about it. I mean, do you think that people going forward are perhaps are now a bit more savvy about sort of handing out that email? And so might we see people at events be slightly less willing to just give out the, give out the data? I think it's really how you position that data transfer. So, you know, if, say, for example, you've got someone scanning you into a session, for example, and they're just blipping you in. Now, that's not a very satisfying experience for me as an attendee. Whereas if, say, I've got a, a pod where I'm tapping in and the pod clearly says, 
you know, please tap in so that we can share content based on the sessions that you attended, then suddenly I'm probably going to be okay with, with sharing my data in that instance because I can see that I'm going to get something valuable in return and the, the follow-up from me attending that event is going to be more personalised based on my activity at that event. So I think, you know, hopefully that gives a good example about how we position those, those, those data touch points and how we explain why we're collecting that data. So I think, you know, that will probably in many instances contribute to greater data accuracy in some senses because people aren't going to be trying to like skip past the person scanning them because they understand, oh, actually, if I tap there, I'm going to get something that I want. And, you know, that, that, that concept of data currency, I think, is, is, a really, is a really valid one. You know, we, we, we're comfortable giving Facebook our data, Instagram our data, because we're getting a great service in response. So I think that we could learn a lot from those, uh, a lot from, from, uh, from those apps and, and, you know, and, and think about how we can still get the data that we need at events, but how we communicate that and, and you know, the value that we're passing on. Um, and, you know, uh, I think that that's only a positive thing. I think it balances, it levels the playing field a little bit. I guess, yeah, in order to kind of get that, that proper sort of value exchange, do events need to embrace tech a little bit more to enable, um, with, yeah, with tech like Moon Live, to enable sort of that fast transfer of, say, you scan in, you immediately get the, the, shirt, the, shirt, the, uh, the talk notes downloaded to your phone, as opposed to kind of, I guess, that you, you might have those slightly less secure older systems where it's just write your email down on this, long list of emails and don't look at the, all the other emails that have been written before it. Sure. I mean, I think that, you know, technology should only be used to facilitate an existing intention. So, you know, what am I trying to achieve here? I'm trying to uh, understand what sessions people are attending. I'm trying to distribute content to them. And then once you, you know what you're looking to achieve and what data you're looking to collect, then you can go out and, and select the most appropriate technology to facilitate that. I think that you know the advantage of technology is that it does offer security benefits. Of, of course, it, it makes things more efficient, and that's why people uh, invest in in technology. And it, it it can of course collect a great a great set of data. I think that you know with GDPR, we're just having to be a little bit more mindful about how we position the use of that technology, how we explain the use of that technology, and how we store and utilise the data collected by that technology post event. So to move on from kind of event data collection and, and GDPR a little bit, uh, I mean, people always love to speculate about the kind of the new tech trends that are going to revolutionise the, in, in the industry. I mean, there was a really an article the other day that said that we're going to have drones buzzing around the, 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 the sort of the conference airspace, filming people and creating kind of B-roll and kind of showreel footage, or that we were going to have suddenly, everyone was suddenly going to be attending from the, the comfort of their home in, in virtual reality in the, in the audience. Is there, I mean, is there anything that you think we'll, uh, that we might see perhaps a bit sooner? Do you think that we'll change? Well, we've been, we've been kind of having the same conversations around the future tech trends um, in, in events uh, for, for a while now. You know, that we've had VR, we've had AR, you know, chatbots, robots, uh, you know, remote events, big data, smart data. These are all kind of buzzwords that we've heard kind of um, you know, thrown, thrown around for a long time. And they're all really exciting pieces of technology. 
I think that as an industry where we're at, the biggest trend that I'm starting to see is actually not in the tech that we're using, but in the, the structure of the teams that we're working with. So for the first time this year, I've seen dedicated event technology managers, uh, you know, agencies especially are bringing in digital specialists to work on events, which means actually they're getting more value from the tech that they've been using for a few years because you have somebody who has a skill set that is perfect for implementing and using that tech and gaining you know, the most uh, ROI from it. And I think before we were always in this place where, you know, um, we were working with lots of great event managers, but the event tech element was just kind of bolted on and they were suddenly expected to do this extra bit of work on top of everything else that, that, that you know, that, that they're expected to do in already quite a demanding high pressure role. Uh, so for me, it's really, really exciting to see that trend of the injection of digital skills into events teams, because I think that that will naturally lead to the, to, you know, the more effective use of event technology. And, you know, that will, of course, encompass all of these kind of all of the, 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 the tech that I just mentioned. Uh, but I think primarily the, the biggest change that we're seeing is who's who's being who's leading on those projects. And, and, and you know, we're seeing more and more complex um, implementation of technology as a result of those skills being in events teams. So yeah, people, teams need the companies need to invest in the team and the expertise of the people to kind of better utilize the technology we have, rather than, I guess, grabbing for the for the latest thing that perhaps will be inefficiently used because it's it's just too much work for people that are already experts in other areas. Exactly, you know, it's it's not fair to expect someone that. Um, you know, an, an expert in, you know, logistics to suddenly become an expert, an, a digital expert, you know, I think that and that has been the expectation. That's where maybe some of the dissatisfaction comes from when using event technology, because, you know, to get the most out, we can, we can bring all of the, the best software, the best hardware, the best ideas. But if there's not enough resource to effectively manage that element of the project, then you're not going to get the most ROI from it and you're not going to you know, get the best experience using it. And that's not the fault of the, the, the technology supplier. That's just a, you know, the, I see more and more acknowledgement that these tools do require resort, the uh, right resource and the right skills to make the most of them. Mm, so yeah, definitely kind of more, yeah, more dedicated people for the, for the role rather than the, because I guess everyone does expect, expect that, of that, that kind of jack of all trades that people, mm -hmm. ex that people expect everyone to be in the events industry, you've got to be able to do everything, but yeah. No, absolutely. And, and, you know, it really does, um, you, you know, when we kind of um, start working again and again with, you know, certain agencies or certain companies and we, we've now got this dedicated point of contact and it just makes the process more efficient. It means that we can do more exciting things. It means that there's, uh, we can actually spend more time mapping out how that data is going to be used post-event, how it can feed into you know, other marketing uh, funnels within that organization, and just generally kind of being able to uh, you know, create greater ROI for what we're doing. Yeah, some really great points. I think there's a lot for people to think about and really take on board, I guess, kind of going forwards. Mm. But yeah, I think that's, that's kind of all we've got time for today. Yeah, Perfect. Th yeah, thanks so much for coming in. No, it's been great. Thank you for having me. And um, yeah, I hope you've all enjoyed listening and um, taking some value from today's talk. Yeah, and just, just the last one, is there any way uh, people should go to follow Noodle Life? 
Yeah, so you can obviously jump over to our website at noodlelive.com and we share, uh, we also are sharing a lot over on Twitter at noodlelive, a kind of good mixture of event tech news and also just general tech silliness and sometimes non-tech silliness. So uh, hopefully you'll give us a follow over there and we'd love to connect with you. Great, thanks very much. No problems. A quick reminder, you can pre-register for tickets to our flagship event at the Barbican in October over at eventlab.online. But hurry, as they're going fast. If you have any questions or you'd like to get in contact with the show, you can email us at eventlab at And you can follow us on Twitter and Instagram for behind-the-scenes view, as well as all the latest updates, by following the handle eventlab underscore HQ. Thanks for listening. <laughs>